0: Hello, Virginia Heffernan here. What you're about to hear is a teaser for today's episode of Trumpcast, which is available in full for Slate Plus members only. We've made one in four episodes exclusive to Slate Plus members because they help support the work we do on Trumpcast and help fund other Slate podcasts like Slow Burn. To sign up and hear this episode and every episode of Trumpcast in full, please visit slate.com slash trumpcast plus. It's only $35 for the first year and you'll get other benefits like ad-free podcasts and discounted tickets to live Slate events. So sign up now at slate.com slash chumpcast plus and thanks for listening.
1: think if it were your daughter, your sister, your cousin, your relative, your friend, was murdered by the police and there was no charging decision, held no one accountable for her death. To those who have been on the sidelines maintaining a dignified silence who have served in the administration in the past, you cannot maintain your silence any longer.
0: Hello and welcome to TrumpCast. I'm Virginia Heffernan. So today I'm just going to take a tiny step to the side, uh, trying to skirt the red dwarf black hole combo, the whole thing filled with tarry, buggy, septic, world-obliterating dark matter, creating an exterminationist vortex for all democracy. I'm just taking a small step to the side. That's because the only person who can bring light to a dark democracy exterminating hole against the laws of physics is Dahlia Lithwick. Sure, Dahlia writes about courts and the law for Slate and hosts the podcast Amicus. She's also a longtime friend to me and to many. But most importantly, Dahlia is now the ranking expert on all things American jurisprudence. You may have seen her recently on Rachel Maddow and Trevor Noah's show. That's because no one can survive the death of Ruth Bader Ginsburg, Brianna Taylor, and democracy itself without her. I know I can't.
1: Dahlia, welcome back to Trumpcast. Woof. There's no one I'd rather be with during the rolling coup, Virginia. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's really true. I, now, OK, there's too many parts of things to talk to. And you're so in demand right now that I just want to quickly quote to you something that Jeffrey Rosen said in your interview with him about RBG, that she knew she had to get over unproductive emotions to get work done. Um, I am not over my unproductive emotions. So I am just not, I know you urged us with Ginsburg not to weep and just to spring into action, but I just, I want to confess to you, I have not done that. And instead I have been with many unproductive emotions and I don't know what to do about that.
1: You know, it's so interesting because I've been obsessed with this story of RBG and anger for like five years. And I think I've written about it a couple of times that what really struck me Virginia, when I watched the movie On the Basis of Sex was this simmering anger underneath the character, right? That she's blowing up at her husband on the sidewalk. She's blowing up at Mm -hmm. her daughter Jane. Uh, That she's blowing up at the the folks who are mooting her uh, from the ACLU when she's preparing to argue at the 10th Circuit. That this is a person who's sort of like a a fiery ball of rage, the uh, young RBG in the 1970s. Because I— I just had never imagined her that way. And I don't know if that was sort of a, a choice I should ask her nephew who wrote the screenplay. But I, I, I just don't believe it. I, I I always felt that she had these kind of twin directives that her mother gave her as a child. She revered her mother. Her mother yeah. was like her lodestar and her mother died right as she was graduating high school. And her mother always said two things. One, be a lady to be independent. And be a lady meant hold your emotions in check. Do not um, waste your time, like you're saying, on unproductive uh, displays of emotion. And Mm -hmm. she just didn't. She really, you know, when I interviewed her in January and I tried to ask her about different parts of law school and all sorts of affronts that were heaped on her as a woman, (laughs) she just Mm -hmm. was like, She literally said, like, I just don't have time for those emotions. So Mm -hmm. I've always wondered, did she sort of toggle back and forth between simmering under the service seething rage, and then her public performance. And I think, in some sense, when she became this iconic, notorious RBG, and we started telling the story of her as this gangsta Brooklyn, you know, feminist, it was a story of anger that was so weirdly misplaced, because anger just was not At least, uh, it may have been her fuel, but it was not Mm -hmm. her performance ever. And I think Mm. her performance was for almost her entire career, these deep allyships. You know, when she was on the D.C. circuit, she most frequently aligned her votes with Robert Bork and Antonin Scalia. Scalia Mm -hmm. was her dear, lifelong friend. She always talked about the ways in which she would pick off a vote from Rehnquist, pick off a vote from Kennedy, because allyship with people that you disagree with fundamentally is the only way to make change. Mm. So I I feel like this is a bit orthogonal to your question. but I not.
0: Yes. I mean, however, and especially now because of this um, promised coup and the notable gaping absence of justice for Breonna Taylor, I'm not sure that I want to act like a lady right now and that, that the Democrats should act like ladies and that anyone should act like ladies. And I also think the consequences of acting like a lady and at the end of her life, you know, RBG didn't no, as you point out in in the in the piece you wrote the night she died, she didn't know what um you know, what Colin Kaepernick was doing. She didn't know what that kind of resistance was. And, yes, these these alliances, but then the anger, then you end up at war with yourself. I think Democrats have tried very much to paper over. All this for four years, beginning when Obama wouldn't, you know, stand up to McConnell and say that uh, the Russians were intervening on Trump's behalf in a letter to the public and all the way to now, when in spite of McConnell's effort to steal this seat and his usual, you know, reassuring the nation in a time of grief that he has no intention of acting decently or anything but sadistically and and the rest of the Senate Republican leadership the same, in the midst of all that, I'm not sure that this is the right time to act like a lady. They're not acting like
1: ladies. Uh, 100%. What? Listen, yeah. I mean, this is the, the sort of Rebecca Traester, you know, like, I'm mad. I'm crazy mad. And I don't feel like, you know, working <laughs> working the levers in tiny incremental ways to get to pick off an ally here and there. I'm, you know, very much with you. We weren't even allowed yeah. to grieve, right, before the right. State- seat was stolen. In fact, Mitch McConnell was, like, dancing on her grave months before she died. Yes, I heard that. And so I am with you. I I think and, – and I don't want to in any way be – lash to the idea that we should all, including men, behave like ladies. I just think Mm -hmm. I want to be really clear on the norms that she embodied her entire life, including when she was writing those fiery dissents, were the norms of, I believe in institutions first. I believe that, you know, the law serves as a guardrail. I believe that anger is ultimately going to sort of burn a hole through. know, the judicial branch and the rule of law. I mean, I'm not necessarily lashing myself to those ideas, but I am saying she was firmly lashed to those ideas right to the end. I agree with you, Virginia. I think, you know, you and I have been talking about this for four years when Mm -hmm. when Merrick Garland was all but erased. And then again, after the Kavanaugh hearing, when there was no meaningful um, FBI investigation into Christine Blasey Ford's claims, I -hmm. think that the idea that, you know, we we just sit here timidly and protect our institutions at all costs is what got us into this situation. And yeah, I am not right. advocating, you know, we we at the risk of losing absolutely everything. We protect these values of comity and respect and, you mm-hmm. know, institutional norms because they're, they're gone.
0: I want to say that Alicia Montgomery, you know, who's our new boss as executive producer of podcast at Slate. She came in during, I think, the official lockdown, so we haven't had all that much time with her. But she was telling me a story about how one of the Confederate statues that came down was one she'd written, she'd really written a lot of letters about and had meetings about. And then all of a sudden, during the George Floyd protests, it was pulled down. And there's sort of a feeling that those of us who inherited from RBG and from others, an idea of kind of writing the letters, marching. Agitating for our candidate, trying to educate that there's a more expedient, more expedient way, and it's just it's a way with more muscle in it. And you know, when you read Ellie Mestal, even when you read Michelle Goldberg, you know the the case for fighting fire with fire seems to be alive. But not just because they're dicks, not just because we hate McConnell, not just because we hate Lindsey Graham because we don't want to lie down and take it, but because, as you say. The people, the public watched as this the travesty with Kavanaugh happened and there's a foot on our necks and we just need someone to stand up for us to like get to stop that kind of gaslighting that we're here and that's the only place we can be. And that we've managed to, like, tell ourselves that this is um, being institutionalist or this is being non-neurotic, like, you know, like Obama. I mean, there's always someone there to tease you when you say, you know, we need to impeach again or, you know, we need to uh, abolish the Electoral College or abolish the Senate now. (laughs) You know, there's always someone to say, oh, well, let's not get too crazy. Um, But this seems to be a time to get too crazy.
1: Again, you're not going to get me to disagree. And I really am, um, in a way, and this is where I'm different, I think, from Ellie and, you know, Michelle and Jeff Tubin who are basically saying, you know, it's time to just fire with fire. Um yeah. I'm still mindful. I'm sure you saw the piece in the Times yesterday yeah. about the just huge amount of environmental cases that the Trump you know administration has lost in the courts. I'm so yeah. mindful of the fact that, you know, we can sit here and say, screw the court, burn it all down. Mm-hmm. It was always a uh, revanchist, uh backward looking white supremacist mm-hmm. machine with like a few good hours in the sixties and you know, <laughs> screw it, it's done. But then I think like Like, you know, of the LGBTQ workers who got protection under Title VII this year because of this revanchist, backward-looking court. And I think Mm. of, you know, the the, the fact that unbelievably there's still abortion clinics in Texas and Louisiana because of this revanchist court. And I've talked to a lot of people who do civil rights litigation and do environmental litigation who say stipulated – burn it all down, it sucks, Hmm. but also understand we don't have a plan B. (laughs) We don't have another institution to protect us. The world is literally going to be on fire. And that, you know, think very carefully before you say the courts are utterly useless to me because the place that has acted as a backstop and a bulwark for most of Donald Trump's worst stupid malevolent impulses Mm -hmm. has been the courts where he has resoundingly lost. Time after time Mm -hmm. after time for four years. And that is having packed, right, a quarter of the federal bench he loses. Those environmental cases, the Times was quick to point out, those were Republican-appointed judges who were handing him losses. And so I don't in any way want to be standing up for some misty-eyed, sentimental idea that we still have the Warren Court. But I just think we have to be really, really careful. And I know this is such a lawyerly, cautious, quote-unquote, lady-like answer. (laughs) (laughs) But I really do think that we have to understand that in the absence of the rule of law and the court system as it is currently structured, we have nothing. (laughs) And the nothing that we have is not going to help when the slow rolling coup starts to roll faster. So I just, you know, that's the line I'm on, Virginia. It's not a very satisfying line. But I think that it's worth remembering the court was designed by the framers to protect minority interests. Right now it is doing precisely that because it is prote- protecting the oligarchs and yeah. the, you know, big yeah. dark the money. The minority president. Yeah, the, the minority mi- president, <laughs> yeah. the minority Senate, and the the like just scads and scads of like oily dark money that are, you know, the Koch, Koch brothers are pumping through our system. So in a very weird way, the court is doing exactly what it is designed to do for the wrong people, but it sucks. But I just feel like I think in this one way, I'm way too um, susceptible to John Roberts' twinkly charm. But I think Mm -hmm. when he worries (laughs) about the legitimacy of the courts and the continued legitimacy of the courts, it's not just because he wants Donald Trump to be president and he wants like the entire regulatory regime to collapse. It's in part because I think if we don't have some kind of notion of protectors of the rule of law. Mm -hmm. then we're in even worse trouble. So that's, I I guess, a long-winded way of saying, I I, I think we're, as we have been from the beginning in these conversations, Virginia, trapped Mm -hmm. because one side are utter nihilists. Mitch McConnell doesn't Mm -hmm. care that Mm -hmm. the Senate has blown up, that the court has blown up. He doesn't care. I think Mm -hmm. that on our side, it's not that we are these careful, pristine you know, Obama people. It is that Mm -hmm. we really, really feel like we have to both fight the institution and fight for the institution Mm. all the Mm -hmm. time. And that's a two-fronted war. That was our preview.
0: Aren't you compelled to hear more? You can. Just sign up for Slate Plus at slate.com slash trumpcast plus to listen to the full episode and get all our podcasts without ads. That's slate.com slash trumpcast plus.